Welcome to the Manuscript Academy podcast, brought to you by a writer and an agent who both believe that education is key. The beauty is the people you meet along the way, and that community makes all the difference. Here at the Manuscript Academy, you can learn the skills, make the connections, and have access to experts all from home. I'm Julie Kingsley. And I'm Jessica Zinsheimer. Put down your pens, pause your word counts, and enjoy. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us. This is a very special episode and something I've been looking forward to for a long time. So we've always wanted to do live podcast recordings. And no, we did not rent a space and pack 100 people into a room with us on stage. That seemed a bit irresponsible and impractical at this moment in time. But we did the next best thing. We live streamed this recording with the very brave agent, Alyssa Jeanette from Stonesong Literary. And we had a really wonderful time. So we hope that you'll be able to join us for events like this in the future. There's a live Q&A. People asked really fantastic questions and there was a lot of laughter. So I hope you enjoy this recording. I hope you'll come to the next one. Head to manuscriptacademy.com slash Facebook and click join. You can check out our live first page roulette panels, which is like a first pages panel, but we think a bit more fun and meet people to support you in your journey and possible critique partners. Hope to see you there. Enjoy. We are so happy to be here with an experiment I've been really looking forward to. This is Alyssa Jeanette. She's an agent. She's a friend. She's a wonderful human being. And she's volunteered to test out this brand new format, which is a live podcast recording for all of you. Alyssa, thank you so much for doing this. It's my pleasure to be here. Thank you for inviting me. So I've known Alyssa for a very long time. I didn't dare count how many years I've known you because that would just make me feel old. But I've known Alyssa through many aspects of both of our careers, actually. We've we've grown a lot. We've learned a lot of things. We've been agents together. And it's just, it's such a pleasure to see you do so well. So I'm just, yeah, it's really nice. Alyssa was there on our first filming day as well. You've heard us talk about the first filming day with all the jackhammers. She was there for that. <laughs> she is... Um, <laughs> She's been very supportive of all of our ideas and projects, and it just seemed fitting that she'd be the first one to try out this new format. So, hey everybody, <laughs> uh, Lisa, we're so glad to have you. So, yeah, we're going to actually do a combination today: our traditional questions, and then we're going to be taking questions from the audience, which I think is going to morph into a kind of a different podcast than our usual jam here at the Manuscript Academy. So, I'm excited jam. to see what happens. <laughs> I'm excited to see what happens. I'm excited to see what happens too. So yeah, you can ask questions over in the side. You can ask questions at the bottom of the screen. We recommend that you do that in terms of looking at the questions that are there. You can upvote the ones that are the most interesting to you. You can interact with each other and find critique partners in the chat. Yeah, we just thought this would be a great way for you to have some time to meet the lovely Alyssa, get some nice feedback from an agent from all the questions writers happen to have. And this is your backstage pass for today. So welcome. And I see some people are just joining us. Thank you so much. We're so happy you're here. Please feel free to ask any questions and we'll get to as many as we possibly can. Tell us about you, where you work, what you acquire, what really interests you, what you love to see in your slush pile. Sure. I am uh, an agent with Stonesong Literary Agency, which has been around for over 40 years. They tend to be known for illustrated nonfiction, like Smitten Kitchen, Love and Lemons, A Brown Table, etc. But I, they, one of the reasons they hired me is because my focus is in children's. Although I acquire picture book through adult nonfiction. I really acquire very, like very widely, but also very selectively. Children's is where most of my list is concentrated. My particular passion is for middle grade. Actually, like a middle grade workshop was the first thing I ever did for Manuscript Academy, which was, I mean, at this point, five years, probably almost five years ago. Sorry, I shouldn't count the years. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, no, no. We'll just feel old. <laughs> yeah. So the, I tend to lean a little more literary, both in children's and adult, maybe a little bit more in children's. I'm interested in sophisticated stories that can combine sort of the necessary and natural difficulties of life with a little bit of humor because they do have to coexist in my opinion that exist in the the sort of natural like part of life where tragedy and comedy kind of have to meet and overlap and feed each other 
So I love this question for reasons that will become very clear in a moment. How did you get started in publishing and how did you know you wanted to work in publishing? Oh man, this is, I definitely snuck in the back door in many ways because I was, I don't want to say I came to publishing late because that's not strictly true. It seemed like it at the time because I had been out of school at that point for four years and I had been doing other kinds of jobs, but a a dear friend uh, of mine kind of reached out to me unexpectedly uh, and asked me to read his manuscript. And at the time I was working in a fashion showroom in Midtown, very coincidentally on the same block, the Stone Song office is on now. Wow. Uh, yes, full circle. And I had a lot of downtime. So I printed his manuscript and read it and gave him a lot of notes. And he read my notes and came back to me and was like, you know, I had already started talking to some agents and your feedback is really similar to the feedback they were giving me. Maybe this is something you should consider as your job. (laughs) And I was like, I don't know what that is. I do not know the first thing about this. And I studied illustration. My degree is in illustration from the Maryland Institute College of Art. So the idea of publishing wasn't totally unfamiliar to me. And one of my bosses had suggested it at one of my internships at that point. But I just really didn't have any foot in that at that point. The idea of starting in like another new industry was very scary to me. (laughs) So I kind of like put it off. But he gave me another manuscript. The same friend gave me another manuscript to read. I read that one. The same exchange happened where he was like, no, seriously, you should look into this. And very coincidentally, one of my best friends told me that she was going to be looking at literary agency internships. So I was like, me too. (laughs) (laughs) And I started cold emailing a bunch of people without really knowing any better, including at the time, Jessica's boss, Sarah Jane Fryman, who reached back out to me, passed my stuff on to Jessica and invited me for an interview to intern. And I met with Jessica for the interview and we hit it off. I I thought very quickly (laughs) and I was very lucky and honored to be invited to intern with Jessica Mm -hmm. and Sarah Jane Fryman, which I did for a year and pretty much right away. Like I want to say the first, within the first couple days of the job, I was like, yeah, this is it. This is what I want to (laughs) do. I feel really confident about like, I know that there's the sort of adage is like, do a job you love and you never work a day in your life. And that's as much as I love this work, it is still work, but it's the job that I want to continue working at every day. Like I want to make the effort every day. And that was kind of like a new feeling for me. Jobs I'd had in the past, I was like, I uncharitably and probably falsely thought I was the smartest person in the room, but this was kind of the the first time I was like, oh, I'm, I have a lot to learn and I want to learn it and I want to be taught. And that was like an exciting feeling. This is such a great question because I thought the same thing. Well, did your friend find an agent? Did that book find a home? Yes. Well, so about a year and a half later, I asked him to be my first client. (laughs) So So, yeah, and uh, I can't say too much at this point, but I will say that there will be good news coming out for him very soon. Yay. Amazing. I love that. I need an agent. I'm going to look around for all my friends and see who's like the smartest. And then I'm going to. To tell them to become an agent. <laughs> I honestly, I, I owe awesome. such a debt of gratitude to him because I think that we both have supported each other a lot since even when before it had even occurred to either of us that we would work together. Like he really was incredibly supportive throughout my internship and throughout finding work as an agent. It was it's honestly an honor to be able to support him back in the same way. I love working with him. He's a really wonderful and creative and uh, thoughtful guy. So Aww. it worked out very well. It's so interesting for the people out there listening. You know, we talk a lot about like find your people in publishing, find your your critique partners and, and you know, you're just kind of like your writing tribe because they are your first line of defense. And when you have those relationships with people can be honest with you and, and, you know, help just kind of like push you through the process. It's, it's a much more fun and vibrant place for sure. We have some great questions here. So Cindy said, if you're a picture book writer, can you also write middle grade and or YA? You can definitely want to write a lot of things, but I think it's a good idea to probably establish yourself in one area first before before working with your agent to branch out with the caveat that if it's not working, if you're going out with multiple middle grade projects with your agent or on your own, and it's just not happening, I think it's okay to work with your agent or with your critique group to see what might be a better way to approach moving forward. 
Oh my goodness. We have so many good questions, you guys. Thank you. I really like this one from Kelly. It's, do you receive a lot of queries from first-time writers or are they by and large more experienced writers? The majority first-time writers. I mean, or, I mean, I think it's hard to, it's hard to qualify first-time writers. If it's their first ever manuscript, it definitely depends on what it is, like to, in terms of like gauging what that means for the author, because like a novel is a longer, larger undertaking in general than a picture book. That's not to say picture books are easier. I don't necessarily feel that way. But writing one picture book is, I think, says something different about the idea of first-time writer versus someone who's writing a first novel. But I definitely see a mix. And I don't think that it, it certainly doesn't have an effect on how I process the submission. Uh, Mm -hmm. If it's a good piece of writing, it's a good piece of writing. Yeah, I think a lot of people worry that they need to have experience right away. And that just isn't true. You need a great book right away. Yeah, you need a, yeah, that's what I always say. I'm like, like, especially when people come to me with pitching a series, and I'm definitely not against series. I love series. But like, if someone's coming to me and saying, you know, this is the first of projected six books, it's like, okay, cool, cool idea. <laughs> but you have to sell one. And not only sell one to a publisher, the book ha- then has to sell when it comes out in order to get the rest of those books greenlit. Sort of in that vein, to take on a picture book client, do you look at only one story at a time? Or are you interested in a body of work? I definitely try to look at more than one. I want to know that you have more going on than just one picture book. I'm an agent who likes to take on clients, hopefully for their entire career. So if I see one project that sparks my interest, I'm almost automatically going to ask to see if there's any more manuscripts because I want to know that you have more than one book in you, generally speaking. And I do the same thing when I talk to novelists. I'll say, okay, what are you working on next? Yeah. Because I want to know you're doing it. You're doing the work. You treat this as a job. And it's a great way to spend the time where you could just be agonizing and refreshing. You could also be creating your next book. So, Amen. Well said. (laughs) That was was a question that came up. So someone asked about the process of going on submission. Can you talk about the submission process time-wise? You know, how long it usually takes you from seeing a, you know, first seeing the query letter to sending out. And then at that point, what happens? Oh man, that is a very variable timeline. Uh, That depends a lot on if the project gets other offers, which will automatically move it up in my queue. I I do try to get back to people as quickly as possible, but especially now that my client list has gotten more full, they are my priority, which is one of the reasons I'm close to queries right now. But once I hunker down, read the manuscript. I usually decide pretty quickly once I start reading whether I want to finish or not. And if I don't want to finish, I will at least read the synopsis because I always request a synopsis when I request a full manuscript. And from there, I can get a sense of sort of if, like, I already generally know if I've, you know, read 40 pages and it's not working for me. And then I can sort of look at the, the story as a whole and say, okay, yeah, this is probably why it isn't working. I think the synopsis is a really just great way to tell if an author understands the story they're telling beginning to end. And then I will, I usually make notes while I read. So I'll be able to respond one way or the other to say, here's where I think you need a little bit of work and offer a sentence of two or two of feedback. Or if I am, you know, very interested, then I can respond and say, hey, I love this manuscript. Let's please get on the phone at your earliest convenience. And then we can hopefully talk about it. And usually those calls are, you know, 45 minutes to an hour, sometimes longer. <laughs> I've definitely had calls where, it, you know, our initial call goes on for like two hours and you're like, oh, wow. yeah, this is definitely, yeah. we get it. <laughs> like we get each other. But yeah, that's happened to me at least once with a, a wonderful mm-hmm. client who I have now. And From there, it really depends on how polished the manuscript is, because if I feel that it only needs one pass, because I'll do at least one pass just to, because usually you're reading pretty quickly when you're evaluating. So I like doing another read if I can, just to make sure that there was nothing I missed in my initial note-taking. And usually I'll have a couple tweaks anyway, even if it's in very good shape. From there, I would say av- like in terms of quickness, it's probably like two months from signing to sub, if that, maybe even less, six weeks. 
from sign to sub for, for something that's very, very prepared to go out and only needs like one, one pass. Well, one thing you said that I think is very interesting and hopeful is that you were reading the manuscript and making notes the whole time, and yet they got about two sentences of feedback. So one thing that we like to say is that what you get in a response is the absolute tip of the proverbial iceberg. If you get anything other than or like form rejection, that means somebody put a lot of thought into your book. So I, I think that's, <laughs> yeah, and it's something that people don't often see because they don't quite grasp how little time we have per submission. And so anything you get other than a form rejection often means that someone read it, took notes on it, just did not have time to type those notes up for you. I really wish there was a way to like share the different colors I highlight in when I'm reading manuscripts on my Kindle, because I have a whole system, you know, one color if I like it, one color if I don't like it, one color for more research. If I could just forward that with its color coding is as easily as I can send a text, I would absolutely send that to the author. I wish that was something that existed, but Kindle is not exactly out to help literary agents. So, not so much. <laughs> but that would be a useful tool. Don also wanted to know how that process is when it's you've got the client and then it's going to go on submission and what tips do you have for authors keeping sane when the book goes on submission? Uh, we're coming <laughs> next thing. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, that, and, and I mean, it's, Trying to remember that, generally speaking, as much as, I mean, we all want, ideally, for writing and for being an author to be a sustainable job. Actually, one of my dear friends and fellow Manuscript Academy agents, John Cusick, first told me early on when I was starting out, like, one of his first bosses told him the object of our job is to make writing a sustainable career. Mm. And that's something that really stuck with me after he told me that. And that's obviously the ideal that we can make our authors, people who can sustain themselves and their families on their writing. Unfortunately, that's not very realistic in the way that the system is set up right now for many reasons. So even if you're treating your writing as a job and as a career and you're very committed and disciplined, that's all good. And I want people to continue to do that. But by and large, you probably have a day job and a family and other stuff you need to be doing around the house. And like to remember that like at that point, you've already come so far in getting an agent and getting into submission and having your book out there in front of editors. Like this is like a good time to like take a deep breath and like realize that like it is out of your hands. And like, this is a time to let go. It's hard. It's so easy to say that because of course we feel similarly. Like we, we obviously have an emotional attachment to this manuscript. We want it to succeed. We want people to see what we see, but at least for me, I have to move on to the next thing. I have a lot of manuscripts that are going out on submission and a lot of projects in development. And I owe it to my other authors to, you know, also work as hard for them as I do for the people I just put on submission. Mm -hmm. So remembering that there's other, there's other aspects of your life that deserve that same attention and discipline, I think is a good way to redirect some of that nervous energy because, you know, the editors have to make the call after that and sales and marketing and the acquisitions team, et cetera. So to be clear for those who are worried that everything is shut down in the pandemic, things have not completely shut down in the pandemic. You're still sending books out. People are still getting offers. Things are still happening. Yeah, good. I mean, I'm having that experience too. Everything seems different, but working. People are definitely working. I think things have slowed down a little. The first month seemed to be a little bit more regular in terms of hearing back and getting offers. But, you know, now we're settling into the new routine. And I think that's naturally going to become a little bit more languorous and also a little bit more like anxious. And like we were thinking about things outside of work because this has gone on a long time. Well, and I've noticed also that I'm getting more of the extremely fast responses, the editors who look at it and they're like, oh my gosh, this looks amazing within 15 minutes, an hour of getting it. But then some of the longer responses are taking longer, which I think is interesting. So I don't know if that means that they get super excited and then do they actually read it? I don't know. I'll continue to nudge on schedule. So we'll see. Um, (laughs) But I think it's it's really interesting that 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 one aspect of it has gotten faster, but I think some, some other parts of it have gotten slower. Before all of this, I noticed that it was pretty average, that you'd hear back on the first round within a month to three months, and then you decide what to do about your second round. So I think that's um, just a way to like 
in your mind be like, okay, in three months, we'll at least have a good idea of how the first round went. But, you know, I think it's so interesting because I, we're all consuming content in such a different way as well. Mm-hmm. And while things have slowed down, I know that there's a lot of talk about like what happens when, like my kids read everything they can get, get their hands on. And we're, we're running out of television shows. I mean, we're running out of like all of that stuff. Like you still need content to be moving down the pike. Mm-hmm. And so while it is different, I think I mean, we talked a little bit about creativity and like, you know, how you work through this and, and like, whether you should just be writing picture books or middle grade or, or, or you know, in that, in that vein or, and I think during this is like a real opportunity to, and I, I had this gross idea in a conversation, but it was like picking out the scab of your creativity, which I made up. <laughs> Because because it's like, you know what? I mean, I think that we are like, there's so many concrete things that we are like dealing with right now, but like creativity is kind of like hanging out up there and it's kind of harder to get at. And so I don't think we should be pushing ourselves, you know, too hard into, I need to do this. I think we should be like, oh, I think I'm going to try this or I'm going to like attempt something new or you know, the more you can kind of change up your brain during this time where our brains are in different spaces, I think it's just an interesting exploration, you know? I've spent a lot of time thinking about this. It could be, (laughs) No, that's good. That's important. Because also thinking about those things, I think it helps you get into the mindset of writers who will hopefully use the Manuscript Academy service to like also channel some of that creative energy and like access that sort of reboot. Yeah. Yeah, it's all about the reboot right now because we're not. I'm not finding creativity in spaces I usually did. Like I have to, mm-hmm. like I am, I, I don't know. It's, a, it's under my bed with my dust bunnies. I don't know where it is, but I'm having other ideas that are all over the place. Uh, so it's interesting. Great question here. Uh, going back to something more concrete than my scab of creativity. Uh, <laughs> so gross. What's So just the structure and length of your preferred query letter. We talked a lot about that and we've done five-day query events here. Like, What do you look for? I can only speak for myself in terms of talking about how I process query letters. But I would say that generally speaking, if it's longer than roughly a page, I would say like two and a half paragraphs, like in like an email, because that looks a little different than a document. I tend to be like, all right, this is looking a little long, but regardless, I'm going to scan for keywords. I very rarely read the whole query word for word like lovingly lingering on every sentence. I just don't do that. And that does not mean that crafting your query is any less important because I think that form follows function and you're going to, as long as you're putting in all the information we need, it's going to be effective. But I'm looking for your word count. I'm looking for your genre. I'm looking for the general idea because I also want to be, I have to be interested in the concept of the project in order to read on. So if I'm not, I'm going to delete pretty quickly. No offense. It's just not for me. So I'd say that I'm definitely looking at, at keywords and like getting sort of like the big picture of the project before I get into the sentence by sentence stuff. But if I look at those first big concepts and say, okay, like this word count makes sense for the genre you're writing in, which is something that I wish more people would pay attention to. And the concept sounds cool. All right, now let's look into who these characters are, why I care about them. Uh, And if all that looks good, then I'll go down to the first 10 pages. I will remind everybody that right now I'm not open to queries, so I'm going to delete them (laughs) without looking at them. So please, please, please. Those poor queries. (laughs) I I love you. I would love to read your query when I am open, but I'm just going to delete it for for now, for the foreseeable future. (laughs) So do you have any quick tips about keywords? Is it kind of like when people are told to take some words from a job posting and put it into their cover letter? Uh, Should they do that with your MSWL and put it into the query? Well, I think that it definitely, looking at my manuscript wish list is good, but I have seen people sort of either misuse what I've said in, in a manuscript wish list thing or or have just said I noticed in on manuscript wish list you said this and it's something I have never said and absolutely oh, no <laughs> and that could just be an accident of copy paste because trust me I understand that like reason query letters is like actually fine like don't worry about it I've signed people that have put someone else's name in the query before it's not like gonna kill you but I I want people to think a little bit about a little bit of personalization because that's 
the first, that's the, literally the first step in seeking an agent, finding an agent who represents what you do. <laughs> so do the research. But I guess I would say in, in terms of keywords, I'm, I'm looking for sort of the, I want the stakes to be evident really quickly. Like it's not necessarily a specific word or kind of like moments of words that I can like pick out like, oh, like there's this word here and this word here and this word here. And that adds up to successful query for me. That's not true. It's more, I'll observe the structure of how you're presenting and and if the information is readily available uh, and if it is sort of like intuitively, intuitively where it should be in the query, that's what I look for. Formatting is also kind of important to me. It's not the be all end all, but I like knowing that you know how to make line breaks and it's, and you're not using like 45 point like red text. <laughs> you know what I mean? Comic Sans. <laughs> right, right, exactly. I think a lot of people will appreciate what you said about you've actually signed somebody who used the wrong name. In... I did. Yeah. I apologize profusely. Uh, and, you know, when did you fine. point it I out? Understand. I didn't, I actually never mentioned it. Uh, he, he followed up and apologized after I asked for the complete manuscript because it was, it was something that I'd been looking for for a long time. It was a YA noir. So I like requested immediately. And he, uh, when he said to me, he was like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I just realized <laughs> that I it says the wrong name on it. I knew who I was sending to because obviously you've asked for this. And I was like, don't worry about it. Oh, I know that. I know that authors are writing to a lot of agents. It makes sense for them to cast their nets widely. Things get missed. I know, again, I don't take it personally. I understand that this is, it's hard work. And as long as, as long as it's not something where you're kind of like trying to gotcha me by like telling me that like I'm into something I'm not, then I think we're fine. It's not a big deal. (laughs) Yeah. I think it's nice to know that you don't have to be perfect to have a chance. I think a lot of people worry about that. Absolutely not. Oh my gosh. I love this question. From Kelly. I love this question. Okay. I've heard agents get together for secret meetings to discuss secret things. Is that true? Oh my gosh. So uh, I mean, if we answer, did. Yes. <laughs> but I think that there's a lot of complexity in that. I mean, the secrecy has a lot of different levels. It's, it's like classified sort of levels of government. Like what, what security <laughs> level are you? Uh, and yeah. I, I think I have a pretty, relatively low security level. I'm not privy to that much uh, interesting information. <laughs> but I mean, I think actually something that has been a real blessing in working with Jessica from the very beginning of my career is she is such a connector of people. And I've met so many people and formed such like a great foundational group of fellow publishing professionals, like as a result of knowing Jessica. So like, I think that those kind of having those kind of groups to be like, in like terms of like, talk about like secret things. It's more like <laughs> being able to to talk frankly about the industry because, you know, it's not always a perfect place. And there are a lot of frustrations mm-hmm. that are individual and systemic that we want to talk about and try and figure out how to fix. And that's, again, another thing, like not like, I mean, I'm always happy to just make this a, a praise Jessica hour, but like Jessica's no, like a visionary <laughs> perspective on how to fix certain problems of the industry, which is how MSWLMA Script Academy came to be. So like, I have learned a lot about like, because I think that this, these are the kind of structures that come out of those like secret conversations it's about problem solving it's not about necessarily like gossiping although sometimes it is about that yeah but it's also about communicating things that are not typically discussed openly well there's a real culture of and and this has changed i mean when i remember going to a publishing party around 2007 2008 and i was absolutely shocked because someone was saying i can't afford air conditioning i should have become a lawyer and at that point i was mad at her because i was like why are you like ungrateful for being in this amazing industry and now my feelings on that have changed i didn't have air conditioning i at the point at that point was living at the top of like a falling down apartment with like fans and melting all summer but i was still like i'm here this is amazing and 
it's interesting how that's changed because there used to be a real culture of don't ever complain. Don't ever say anything's wrong, especially not publicly. And so that, I mean, the, in 2007, that was shocking is a real change from how it is now. And people talk about really big problems that the industry has, which I really appreciate. In terms of secret meetings about secret things, yeah, I think as Alyssa said, there are different levels of security clearance, right? So there are big groups where talk, people talk about big issues that are probably going to end up in PW. There are smaller groups that talk about more personal things. There are tiny groups where you learn things that are very surprising and maybe you didn't want to know. <laughs> and yeah, there's a full range, but none of it is like, how do we get together and hurt writers or anything like that? It's never, oh, never. that. It's more about like our feelings about being in a high pressure situation, which we are. And there's also a lot of pressure to pretend that we aren't. Well said. I totally yeah. agree. It's a lot of responsibility to be in this position because especially as like, you know, sort of the proverbial middleman and messenger in many ways, like we're, we're messenger on both sides. And like, I, I mean, you have to be okay with being quote, the bad guy in this job. And I don't think that's a bad thing at all. I'm fine with that. Like, obviously something you you have to be in order to be well suited to the job, I think. But you kind of have to think of it as just the function of To clarify, by being the bad guy, you don't mean hurting people. You mean going back to that editor with a million more questions until you're satisfied and not caring if they're annoyed with you because you need to get that answer in writing. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Not being hurtful. just, Just like, I mean, like it's, it is, sometimes it can be incidentally hurtful because we're also delivering bad news like rejections. Right. Well, you guys are the gatekeepers of people's dreams. You're the gatekeepers of people's dreams and their babies, right? In a way that's, that's just a really interesting responsibility. And I think, I think for writers, I think it's really interesting to go to a brick and mortar writing conference and the agents are kind of sequestered and they're, they're kind of seen as almost like a mythical group. You know, I think in some places where you see them and you're like, oh, wow, like, look at them. They're all in a breakfast together, (laughs) them and us. And and, and, and there was that kind of separation. But I I think where the industry has gone is there's much more like a human kind of like experience here. And I think more people are understanding that. And that's really interesting, but it doesn't make your jobs easier or trying to meet the expectations of all of the people in this industry at the same time, necessarily such a positive thing all the time. Well, but also calling us gatekeepers implies we have complete control and we don't. Correct. Yeah. I mean, we would love to sell a hundred percent of the books that we take on and love. I I, I wish I know. Right. (laughs) I would love it. Um, Yeah. So that's, that's not, that's What's not, the word? It's not gatekeeper. What is it? Because writers need you guys to get to the next level for the most part. So what is the right word? Mm. I mean, I don't know that it's necessarily a wrong word. I just think it has a connotation that mm-hmm. is ambassadors than the reality. <laughs> ambassadors yeah, well, of, ambassadors of the written word. Keymaster. Well, there's an interesting question here that's kind of related to what we're talking about. Ardell wants to know, do you ever drop an author who was repeatedly rejected? Well, I've mm-hmm. never fired anybody at this point in my career. Really? Oh, when you do, call me. I'll take you out to drinks. It's the worst. Oh, I yeah, no, I'm, I'm definitely, I mean, at this point, I'm lucky to have not had to do so, knock on wood. It's something that, of course, I think about because, you know, it's, it, it's not that, like, to the question particularly, the idea of getting repeatedly rejected, that's a challenge because, of course, you don't want to make it seem like, well, you know, this author is of no use to me now because, oh. like, they keep getting rejected. Like, that's just not the reality. It's, it's you kind of have to come to a meeting of, a certain amount of time has passed. A certain amount of projects haven't been successful for whatever reason. It is probably not, you know, oh, this author is a bad writer. That's just not the case. Like, it's very unlikely that an agent would have taken them on if that were what was happening. But for whatever reason, their style or it isn't hitting the right editor at the right time again and again. And there are many reasons this can happen. Um, but it's... 
kind of getting to the point where you recognize a lot of time has passed and a lot of opportunities have not been fulfilled. And you kind of have to come to the idea that maybe you as an agent aren't the right advocate for them for whatever reason, or if that client through these many opportunities is, I mean, that's a lot of time. That's a lot of time and energy sunk into submissions, sunk into research, sunk into editing and reading. And if you are, especially if you're an agent who has a lot of other clients, at what point is that focus on this client that isn't necessarily delivering for whatever reason, and I'm saying it's not necessarily the offer's fault, you kind of have to decide, is this a partnership that is worth moving forward with from now on? Because it seems like neither of us are really getting what we hoped for out of this partnership. And of course, you don't want to leave anybody in the lurch. But I mean, at the end of the day, this is also, as agents, how we make our living. And if we're not selling, we're not eating. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And that's a really hard part of the job, too, because I I don't think of my clients as just potential capital for me. Like, I want them to succeed as creatives and as professionals. But I also understand that part of that partnership does benefit me. And I want to, of course, respect their the creative side and the professional side of their job. I want to clarify that I think most agents, myself included, would never fire someone that they loved just because they got rejected. If we love the book, we love the author, and it just doesn't work out, sometimes it just doesn't work out. And that's not a reason to drop a client because that's a talented person who you like working with, who you'd like to send their next book out. That's, yeah, don't worry about that. Don't worry. Don't worry about it. You know, that everyone knows that that is not something anyone 100% controls. You know, we know that if you could control it, you would have all that say yes. So no, that's not a reason that generally authors are fired. There might be an agent out there who fires authors for that reason, but I don't think it would make sense. Well, I think, I think from my outside perspective, like knowing all of you guys, it seems to me that you guys are almost like a teacher. You guys are building classrooms. And sometimes when the kids come into the beginning of the year, they look really, you know, they're so cute. They're all so cute. And by the end of the year, you're like, oh, <laughs> because it is about how people interact and their behavior and, and everything else. So once you get to that point, not diva, not being a diva, not, you know, being really respectful of people's time is important. And I don't think we talk about that enough as kind of an industry. Yeah. And someone asked in the chat, if you tend to be friends and need to connect with your clients, I think you really do. You spend so much time with them. Yeah. That's a tough question. Uh, I mean, I think that I definitely have a very warm and friendly relationship with my clients, generally speaking. I'm closer to some more than others, just by nature of human beings being who they are. <laughs> and sometimes you connect more with a person, sometimes you don't. But I genuinely do like my clients as people. I try not to work with people that I don't like as people because I find that that makes for a much more difficult way forward. Even if you're thinking about it as, oh, this is a business, this is purely professional, it doesn't matter. If the book is good, the book is good. And sometimes I think that's true. But I also think that I have seen plenty of situations where an author is not an easy person to work with Mm -hmm. and has not made it an easy time for any of the professionals working with them. And even though that's not necessarily the agent's fault... I don't know. I find that it, I don't feel right about exposing people, the people that I want to continue working with in terms of editors to somebody who I think is going to treat them badly. Uh, that doesn't look good for me either. So I try very hard to choose to work with people who have some like basic courtesy. <laughs> yeah, and I know it sounds obvious, but that's not necessarily true. <laughs> Just very quickly, we have a question here from Cindy. Is the fact that an author has parted ways with another agent a red flag? And do you want to know this in the query? It is not automatically a red flag if uh, an author has parted ways with another agent by any means. I definitely want to know. I, I, I do want to know in the query if they've been previously represented. And I am almost certainly going to ask why you parted ways. Nine times out of 10, it's just going to be, we tried, it didn't work out 
we wish each other the best almost mm-hmm. always it's going to be or you know in the case of one of my clients he originally was writing adult and had an agent for that and they parted ways because he started writing children's and his agent doesn't do that so yeah. he came to me and that's very normal and fine there's nothing wrong with that i was glad to know and i mean in, in some ways it can be really reassuring because it's like okay like he's had people believe in him before, <laughs> you know, like there's, yeah, absolutely. there's a foundation here for successful writing. It's proof someone else liked your writing enough to take that risk. Oh. Too. Alyssa, I know that you have a fine arts background and we have a question here about how to submit graphic novels and works with a graphic component. What advice do you have? That is a really great question. I think it depends a lot on where you are in the process as the creator. Mm-hmm. There are absolutely cases where publishers want to take on a text-only graphic project. I think that's a lot less likely unless you are an established author in another in a prose-only space. So I think author illustrators tend to be a lot more common in terms of debuts. Mm-hmm. And if you do happen to be an author illustrator, generally speaking, at least the way that I submit to editors. And this is unusual, I think, but I like to have a full script. Hmm. I know that uh, there are plenty of people that would say, that's ridiculous. Why would you put all this time into a complete script? All they want to see is, you know, 20 pages, 50 pages. But I like editors to know that that there's not just beautiful art, that the person knows how to tell a story. I mean, at the very, very least, I want an incredibly, incredibly detailed outline and a project that I can't strictly talk about yet, but that did sell. It was a project I, I reached out to the, the artist myself and I developed the project with him. So I would say another thing is also making sure that your art is out there where people can see it because <laughs> agents are looking for, for artists all the time and more more and more now because obviously graphic novels have been finally accepted as something that does well (laughs) and that people want to read which is very exciting but yeah making sure that you your writing as well as your art is very tight and that you understand how to format a script Mm -hmm. is very important because graphic novel projects or anything visually driven are formatted very differently from prose. You're delivering information very differently because understand that most of the text is not going to be on the page because it's what's describing what's visually there. So you need to also pay a lot of attention to your dialogue and ensure that it makes sense. Say it out loud (laughs) to be sure. But yeah, ensuring that you have like a tight, a tight package and a great outline at least, if not a complete script, 10 to 20 sample pages, roughly a chapter of final artwork. If you want to include character sketches as well, um, like concept art, that's always great, but I don't think it's strictly required. I just want to know that you can do can make great art, can make expressive characters, can make complete backgrounds, or if not, the and, or if like backgrounds are challenging. Let's say you don't want to do backgrounds. I want to see something very so stylistic that you don't need them. I want to not notice that they're not there. So yeah, I think ensuring that you have an incredibly polished pitch forward pitch packet is the best thing you can have. Like ensuring that it's because this is another thing that turns around quickly for better or for worse because graphic projects have become so popular and have sold so well. That is another reason that people are seeking artists. And I think that projects tend to get submitted without a lot of development. So if you can prove that you have already done a lot of development to an agent, I think that'll also help you. And sort of on that note, do a lot of illustration notes and picture book submissions turn you off enough to pass? Or do you appreciate seeing the author's vision even if they end up getting scrapped? Gosh, people have such strong opinions about illustration notes. It's always always Uh, a thing. Art notes? I, I love art notes because that shows me that even if you're a prose only author, you, you're thinking about the art because that's the nature of the art form. If you're doing a picture book, I truly hope that you think about the art because the text has to interact with the art. Um, I love when the visual elements of a picture book have a message that the author intended just as much as the text. And obviously that's something that 
if, if you bring in a separate artist, that's something that the artist has to des- decide and be in collaboration on too, or could develop on their own through interpreting the text. But I, even if it doesn't end up moving forward, I still think it's great to know that an artist is thinking about it. And that's actually one of the main pieces of feedback I give when I talk to picture book authors in Manuscript Academy meetings or other conferences is that I care that you think about the art and I care that you think about your books in terms of layout and in terms of page turns, because that's another, like those are all big parts of the experience of reading and processing a picture book. Like these are, these are the moments where in prose you can reveal and conceal in text and in the ways that you you, you write a paragraph or, or a chapter, you don't have that space in a picture book. And that's where the visual elements add that richness that where you get the reveal is the page turn. Like, and you, I want people to think about those things, especially if they want to improve on their craft with each book. Like that's, those are all really essential elements. It's interesting how they're so divisive. You know, you get so many people who are like, I hear everywhere, illustration notes are bad. And then people will be like, I have one illustration note, but it's really necessary. Can I have it? It's interesting. I don't understand why so many people are so against them. I guess if you're dictating every little thing the author or the illustrator does, that's bad. But I think if you have just a few of them, I mean, I can't imagine anyone being angry at two or three notes that are really necessary for the story. I totally agree. I don't want authors to get bogged down in the visuals because mm-hmm. I do find that, and this is actually less with art notes, There, I, but I do find that a lot of times there's narration that could be art, that could be art notes. Mm-hmm. Like there are certain things that will be shown in the image and you don't need to put in the text. And I find yeah. myself giving that feedback a lot too. Yeah, of course you want to leave room for the artist. I do say that a lot, leave room mm-hmm. for the artist. But I also want to know that just it's on their mind that this is a visual object mm-hmm. and that shouldn't be discounted just because I just because you're not an artist, which is something I hear a lot, too. That's OK. You don't have to be an artist. You're a writer. <laughs> but I do want you to think about your chosen media. And if you're choosing to write picture books, I hope you understand that picture is in picture books and you know, it's a holistic process. Sounds like a campaign. Keep the picture in picture books. <laughs> Love BJ Novak after us. Oh no! <laughs> the day the pictures quit. <laughs> so look at the time, and I see that we have been at this almost an hour, Alyssa. You're just killing it. Can you just lead with like, like, give us a happy story in writing? Do you have a happy story in writing right now in publishing? Oh, you can wow. hit us with during the pandemic. Oh gosh, let's see. Well. Oh man, this is hard because I mean, I guess I can talk about things without right. strict names and details thrown around. Yeah. Well, okay, so there's two things. I have an industry thing that I think is positive, even though it's still developing, and that is seeing, as Jessica sort of mentioned before, more open discussion of things in the industry that need fixing, more discussion of, if not directly unionization, more collective action for workers and employees, which I think is great and well-needed. So I think that's something that's happening in the industry as a whole, which is really wonderful. On a personal note, I have been really lucky. I've had a, a good 2020 so far in terms of successes for my clients. And I like since the isolation started, I've sold two books that mean a lot to me. One of them is this graphic novel that I mentioned earlier that I developed with the the, the client, which was especially rewarding because we did work on it for a long time together. And another is selling a project for for my oldest client, who I adore. And I'm very grateful that we have made this journey together and that I can deliver some excellent news for him. Also, the first fiction book I ever sold is coming out this summer and is on pre-order right now. So if you have a middle grader who loves sports or comic books or wonderfully emotional stories about friendships, I would advise them to check out Chris Negron's Dan Unmasked, which comes out at the end of July. Yay. And uh, it's an absolutely beautiful book that is just has so many wonderful layers going on. And I really am excited for, for Chris's career because he is not going anywhere. He's just like a really, really Yay. talented, wonderful... He always gets embarrassed when I say this, but I kind of think of him as like Mr. Rogers because he's just so so lovely. 
<laughs> so all of his success, it really just couldn't have happened to like a nicer guy. So I'm, I'm really excited at uh, how lovely his team has been about the book and how much they've done for him. And I just cannot wait to just see it out there and having people read it because it's so wonderful. Oh my gosh. I'm so glad we ended with happy news. It's like, I'm thrilled. It's like, (laughs) and like all of you guys for joining us on this kind of experiment. I feel like we actually ended up with a really amazing conversation. I love how it dips and flows and through different themes and topics and publishing. And you guys are always amazing. Thank you for being such uh, great support and, you know, advocates for us here at the Ministry Academy. Oh, no, I love you guys. Yeah. I am constantly thanking people for being a part of Manuscript Academy and for, I mean, I really just, I'm so grateful for it all the time, just because it's such a great way for me to stay sharp as a professional. Mm-hmm. And it's just such a good resource for authors. <laughs> like I'm always telling people about it. I'm always thanking people for being part of it, telling them to spread the word. It's just a, a, a great tool. I'm really grateful for Jessica for starting it and for inviting me to be a part of it and so really. early. Mm-hmm. Well, yes, we're so we're happy to have you. Okay, yeah. are you ready for the number one most updated, upvoted question? Jumro, please. Oh, Here we go. <laughs> when do you open again to queries? Yes. That makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I wish I had a more definitive answer. I my my projection at this point is fall, mm-hmm. early fall, hopefully end of summer, early fall, because I am lucky to have a lot more, for better or for worse have a lot more time now because I am now effectively agenting full time because I also work a job as a nanny and the family is in South Carolina now. So I'm hanging out doing, doing the job, which is actually really exciting. I really love being able to do this full time. It is, has been such a blessing. So I'm hopeful that it means that I will be reopening sooner. I am angling for the end of August and hopefully that is what will happen. Yay. And where can we find you online? Oh, well, you can find me uh, (laughs) talking about all the unsexy parts of publishing at my Twitter, (laughs) which is just at Alyssa Jeanette. You can find me on the Manuscript Wishlist uh, Mm -hmm. site where I talk about all the things that I love. Yeah, I'd say those are the most public facing stuff. Twitter is definitely the best way to get me regularly. Mm -hmm. And We're opening to meetings next week, next Wednesday for members, next Thursday for non-members. Alyssa will be one of the lovely faculty members you can meet, and you can find her directly at manuscriptacademy.com slash Alyssa hyphen Jeanette. And Alyssa, thank you so much, and thank you all for joining us in this experiment. I've been looking forward to this for weeks, and I'm so, so, so happy it worked. So, yay. Thank you so much. No, it's my pleasure. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you all very much for coming watching. Yay. Bye. We are so glad that you joined us. And as always, we appreciate your feedback. Just head on over to the iTunes store and let us know what you think. It not only helps us make this podcast be the best it can be, but it also affects our ratings within the iTunes platform. We'd love to hear from you. If you're feeling brave and want to submit your page for our first pages podcast, you can send it to academy at manuscriptwishlist.com with first pages podcast in the subject line. We'd also just love to hear from you. And if you'd like to learn more about the Manuscript Academy and everything we have to offer, just jump on over to manuscriptacademy.com.